Hello, and welcome to Supply Chain Next. I'm your host, Richard Donaldson. Join me as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges practitioners face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. All right, and welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. Uh, this is Richard Donaldson, and I am here with Stan Arano. Uh, uh, Arano, I know I keep, it's Arano, right? Arano, okay, all right, just got it on there. Arano, Stan yeah. Arano, all right, so, because uh, the A-R-O, I'm like, Arano. Anyway, but Stan uh, uh, from Gardner here, we're going to get into his background here for a little bit. Really super pleasure to have him here. Uh, uh, his perspective on what's going on in the world of supply chain, I think, is is incredibly unique, and I uh, just want to get into it, and, and welcome, Stan. Yeah, thanks so much, Richard. Great to be here. Uh, uh, very cool, and, and you today are in, if I remember correctly, Colorado? Yep, I'm in, I'm currently in Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, right on. Cool. Okay. All right. Well, let's 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 dive right into it, Stan. Um, I mean, you and I are uh, have got some similar, interesting, oddly enough, kind of similarities. I think you sort of grew up in the Midwest and uh, mm-hmm. then found yourself at university. Let's tell tell everyone a little bit about the start of Stan, where where you came from, and kind of how you got it. Yep, <laughs> you yep. got into where you're going. I'll, I'll spare you the early days, but okay. You know, but most, you know, most of my formative years were uh, spent in Michigan, in the D- in the Detroit area. Okay. Uh, and you know, if I look at sort of the on ramp to, you know, what I eventually am doing now, I de- I decided, you know, there's a couple of really good state schools in Michigan. There's University of Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, my wife went to Michigan State, so I'm equal opportunity. Both okay. are great at supply chain. I think state probably ranks a little bit better, actually. Yep. Uh, but I decided at the time uh, that I was going to go to business school. I was going to do finance and accounting. Okay. Uh, and so for me, it was, you know, I, I think I hadn't really figured everything out yet. You know, I, I don't have the view that I have now. It was more, I always liked math. You know, I had a fascination with the investment community and what it did. Uh, and so that was sort of what steered me in that direction initially. No, right on. So, so uh, now kind of go back and, and replay that a little bit, but so you, you originally thought finance, kind of went down the financial path, started thinking, mm-hmm. you know, an MBA or something, maybe I'm going to right. work on Wall Street. At that time, did was supply chain even a concept in your head? Oh, geez. I mean, you know, I, I graduated in the early 90s. So supply chain, I don't even know, you know, wasn't a term, you know, people worked right. in like logistics and, right. you know, uh, you know, they bought stuff and, and things like that. So I would say at that point in time, no. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, as I thought about it a little bit more, you know, I, I went to business school, but you know, you could take electives. So I I used to like taking eclectic uh, types of courses. I took like anatomy, physiology in the in the medical school. I took astronomy, and you know, if I try to draw a thread because I'm an analyst by, mm-hmm. by nature, it's those are actually domains that require systems thinking, and I think mm-hmm. that's where supply chains are rich. So I, mm-hmm. I was probably destined to go down some path that had some sort of systems thinking in it. Um, I, you, you mentioned the investment thing. Um, fun fact, uh, I actually interviewed with Bear Stearns in New York City. Oh. Um, culturally, I was like, nah, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to go into this place. And oh right. my God, am I so glad that I didn't? Because obviously, right. you know, we know the, the rest of the story of what happened with the whole meltdown. Absolutely. Uh, What's interesting that you also point out, because it's a concept that's now coming, I don't know if it's coming full circle or getting more prominence now, but systems level thinking and what that means, right? Um, And I'm going to bookmark that and come back to that because I think it's an important concept when applied to supply chain and certainly the path towards a 
you know, a, 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 a transparent global supply chain, right? You have to start for thinking sure. system-wide um, versus the discrete parts. But hold on for that one, one sec, because you you had a little brief stint, I think, upon graduation, and then you ended up at, a, at this little company people might have heard of called Intel. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it had a pretty good run there too. And from what I gather, that point or that part of your career was the transition from finance into supply chain. When, you know, let's talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, again, kind of funny that maybe supply chain has a big magnet attached to it for me because I actually interviewed with both finance and supply chain coming out oh. of grad school. So I moved to Arizona for grad school. Uh, and the the finance one was a better offer. You know, oh, okay. What it's worth at the time. And so I ended up you know, entering the company that way. But interestingly enough, I was finance for supply chain. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so and what, was, what did that mean at the time? What did, what did that role mean? Uh, you know, it was all, some of it was just sort of your, your standard financial planning and analysis and making sure everyone was staying on budget and things like that. But I started branching into projects. So that was a, you know, it was interesting that the um, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, for those who were, you know, in, in the workforce, that, that was the dot-com era. Right. And so there was this thing called e-business right. that everyone was talking about. And it was right. the biggest thing and lots of money was flowing to it. And so I actually was doing a lot of financial analysis to say, do we want to go invest in this? Hmm. And I, apparently I gave the program manager leading the, that transformation program such a hard time that, you know, he either decided maybe I have, you know, some potential or maybe he wanted to you know, take me out of his way. He said, hey, would you like a job? Right. Yeah, actually, that sounds really interesting. And so that was like, you know, e-supplier types of capabilities, e-procurement. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let, me, let me double click on that for a second, because you know, there's certain companies that I think inherently had amazing supply chains. And I think Intel's one of those. And you were at there at a time when they may or may not have known they had an amazing supply chain, right? Um, because we, we today, supply chain's top of mind for everybody. Back then, Kind of as you put it, and even coming out of school, you're like, ooh, finance, supply chain, I'm going to go finance. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, I think 10 out of 10 people would have made that choice back then because supply mm -hmm. chain was sort of in the background a little bit, even yeah. though they were one of the top supply chain companies in the world, and maybe they just took it for granted. Can you speak to that for a little bit? Like, How did you start to get introduced to supply chain, especially at a company like Intel? And then what were some of the moments that you had and like, oh my gosh, this is bigger than even potentially finances or what were your thoughts at that mm -hmm. time? I, you know, I think, I mean, if I'm thinking about it, like from the perspective of someone who's deciding to go into a career, like, you, know, mm -hmm. I, you know, from a corporate perspective, I actually think finance was a great place to start just because yep. you, you come in, you attach at a very senior level relative mm -hmm. to where you're coming from and you get a view, like an end to end view of the business. And, you know, to be honest, you, you figure out how stuff gets funded. Right, uh, and that's a really good skill to have, especially you know if you're if you're head of uh, supply chain or COO, you know they, yep. they they are going to the board asking for significant sums to transform. So you know for for me, I think that was great as a starting point. These types of transformation programs that I talked about, where it's like we need to completely rethink how we source and uh, connect out with our suppliers, because you know back then in the late '90s. Everything was fairly siloed. You know, the, the exchange of information, even transactionally between companies, was done more, uh, you know, over email and you mm -hmm. know, 
we were using SharePoint, I think, at the time. Right. You know, to, to right. like create, and we thought that was really advanced. Right. And then Rosetta, Rosetta Net standards came out and things like that. So um, it, what was interesting about moving into the supply chain area is it's not as broad, but you start drilling into the process and really understanding how this works, how complex it is, uh, all the, you know, um, the interplays between the different parties, not just yourself, but how you know, important it is to, to, to plan in a coordinated way with your partners. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating. And that goes back to the whole systems thing. You know, I was like, oh, right. this is just a complex ecosystem. Uh, and so there's a lot of potential there. I don't think, um, I, I, I don't know if I realized at least at first how advanced uh, Intel was, because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you just sort of live in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an engineering cultured company, lots of really smart people there. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's the thing about high tech companies is they tend to look at problems like supply chain problems. as just yet another engineering problem. And right. so they bring really, a, a, you know, advanced math to figure out how to optimize and all of that. And uh, you get really interesting things as a result. Mm-hmm. So uh, but interesting on that. So agreed. Right. And I, I certainly mm-hmm. Could share some more stories in the high tech circles, but you know, again, we're at Intel. It's an engineering-led culture. You know, they're they're literally cracking the atom when it comes to creating these incredible, you know, foundational chips that run everything, right? And and based on the simplistic level of zeros and ones, which I still to this day just blows my mind, right? It's the binary system that runs the world. It's like wow. <laughs> However, um, somewhere in that in that period, I think you were there, right? supply chain kind of gained more and more prominence because you really came at an interesting period where you saw the rise of the dot-com in the late 90s. And then you continued through the early 2010, if I'm reading this right. Yes. And there was a big transformation that started happening, not just in the world of the internet, but then Intel's position in that. And I believe during that time, concurrently, supply chain began to take on more prominence was that happening? And what were your observations during that period? It was. I mean, if I'm, you know, I, I'm several years, more than a decade out of Intel. So right. you know, I, I think I can, you know, just talk about it objectively. Yeah. Pre-Intel, you know, known as one of the pioneers in Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, therefore had a lot of market power. Uh, yeah. And basically, you know, it, it could not only um, dictate terms to suppliers, but in many ways to customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the period that I lived in Intel, it became much more important for supply chain to, to be really high performing because right. the customer's voice started mattering more and more. Oh, yeah. know, it wasn't just, you know, if we build it, they will come. It was, we need to get to yes much faster. Uh, and, you know, we need to figure out how to do this in a really effective way, uh, you know. So, and and, and was, that, was that pressure coming from, let me ask again, because I was sort of tangentially related. I was in parallel. It's interesting you bring this up because, I, again, you're, I think, referring to kind of what we know now as sort of the cloud providers, right? So this is the Googles and the Microsofts and Facebook. And, you know, I was mm-hmm. sort of early there at, at eBay, but all these high-tech companies started buying you know, more and more servers, which was more and yes. more chips, and then eventually led by Google and Microsoft and Amazon, they started mm-hmm. diving into the supply chain going, well, we're going to build our own servers. Oh, heck, we'll build our own routers. Oh, heck, let's build our own chips. 
right? And, <laughs> and I remember this because I, I, I literally yeah. it was on meetings with Intel reps when I was at eBay and we were designing chips. We were, we were way past, you know, like, hey, just give us whatever you want to give us. Like there were certain workloads we had to find. So that's an interesting pressure that started happening that forced a look at the supply chain to be more reactive, adaptive. Like you couldn't drive the market anymore. The market started driving Intel. Yes. And it happened over you know, several years because right. all of that customization that customers were doing that you described, that really even accelerated post oh. my departure in 2010. Yeah. Big time. It was really, it was just becoming much more, you know, much higher customer requirements, you know, from the Dells yep. and the HPs and Lenovo's of the worlds. Uh, now it's, you know, we don't even want your, you know, full stack. We, you know, we right. want, to, we want something hybrid. We want other IP outside of yours and other manufacturing technologies. Which for Intel, the amazing thing was just how vertically integrated it was. Yeah, uh, everything, you know, the technology, the factories, everything was owned internally, and that was the secret sauce. And now they have have to be, you know, really disaggregated to be able to run a bunch of different models. So right. the complexity shot through the roof. Yeah, totally. And, and and okay, okay. So then that opens you to supply chain. You get, I mean, what a, again, a fascinating, as you said, that the internet, when it's through its first kind of, you know, hype cycle in the late to uh, late nineties, right. Then it imploded sort of 2000, 2001, and then it came back up and it's just continued to climb ever since, right? Mm -hmm. But you also then made a jump to go from Intel to Gartner. What, yeah. you know, talk about that. Like what, that, that's a pretty big leap uh, from, <laughs> from, you know, a practitioner, big name company to now I'm going to go into and, and do the research that sits on top of all this stuff. And you started in, if I'm not mistaken, supply chain right away. Yes. Yeah. So okay. I had spent most of my time, you know, in and around supply chain at Intel. And, you know, for in my earlier years, it was, you know, mostly with the sourcing function. And then I started supporting planning. And then it started becoming, you know, transformation programs that were end to end mm -hmm. across all of supply chain. Um, so right around the end of my tenure, like 2007, 2008, I ran into this company called AMR Research. Okay. which many have heard of, uh, yep. you know, it's the predecessor basically to the, the, the group of supply chain analysts that are now uh, at Gartner. Uh, ah. the, I, I instantly was like smitten. I was like, this is just the coolest thing, being able to go out and be part of a larger community and share best practices and learn. And so I just sort of took it on my own as a hobby to say, I'm going to, I'll take over this contract. I'm going to work the relationship between all these analysts in the community and those who are across all the different parts of the supply chain at Intel. And mm -hmm. so for a little while, I was just sort of doing that. You know? okay. And I, you know, I was enthusiastic. So they were like, oh, you know, you're such a great customer. Uh, we really like, you know, the connections that you're making, you know, between yep. what, what we do and, you know, what Intel is doing. And Intel, like you said, you know, lots to share with the community because it's a yep. fairly advanced supply chain. So at at some point, the high-tech uh, supply chain role comes open uh, at AMR, you know, turning into uh -huh. shortly after. And they said, well, you know, we obviously don't poach from customers, but, you know, if right. you know anyone who's interested, wink, wink, uh, yeah. you know, let them know to apply. And, you know, that's that's sort of how I started. Interesting. Uh, coming in as an industry analyst, covering high tech more broadly, and and and, and maybe because I didn't, I actually didn't know. That. I knew I knew of AMR, but that's an interesting little factoid. So I didn't I didn't realize Gardner, well, also with you, went mm -hmm. out and I mean, of course, acquired, but acquired a certain group 
the AMR yes. that actually was kind of their emphasis. Was, so everything we see in supply chain today, is that Christian and all the other analysts that, that kind of came out of that group or? There, so we added to that group. I was, oh, I see. Of, you know, I was part of a team of, you know, 15 to 20 analysts. Oh, right on. Now it's like 100 to 150 analysts in supply chain. And, you know, we've added CEB analysts. Yeah. And, SCM well, world. Yeah. Let's 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 double click on that because that's that that parallels again the growth of supply chain and Gartner obviously is a reflection of everything that's going on in the world, right? I mean they've they've cemented themselves <laughs> sort of the with the magic quadrants and everything. But more specifically though, at the time, and you may not have been aware of it, but do you do you have any insights? Like what was at that time? Because 2010 was, I would contend, sort of early vision around supply chain importance coming up 10 years later, right? Yes. Were they that mindful at that time strategically about building that practice? Because that's a pretty amazing ahead of the curve kind of thing, you mm -hmm. know, and what, what was the thinking at that point? And what was the early days with that group and how you were looking at supply chain? Oh, geez. I mean, I, I think it was a strategic purchase. Well, that's um, amazing. You know, they, they, you know, you have to look at it. It's almost like a whale swallowed a minnow. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, right. But very specific minnow. Yeah, yeah. But that minnow grew into something. That minnow grew, and actually, it's it's one of the fastest growing businesses within Gartner today. What wow. I tell you, just looking at the numbers, they're cr crazy good right now. Right. Uh, and you know, it's it's really grown, and I think it's viewed as not only a strategic part of the business, but as a best practice for what we can do with the rest of the business, which, you know, Gartner is, you know, our ticker symbol is IT. So right, 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 right. a lot is focused on the CIO and, you know, everyone who works for the CIO. But I think what we do really well, which ties to what I mentioned before, is it's the relationships and community and right. learning across. That's right, that's right. what I think, you know, a lot is coming out of that. Well, so, and, the, and yeah. that's, I think, to jump in on that, right? So, and, and your function, interestingly enough, and you've been there for close to 13 years, 12 years or whatever it is now, it looks, if I'm not mistaken, like it's kind of stayed pretty similar. Like you, you've stayed kind of in this role that keeps you connected to a certain Fortune 500 client base and you're interacting with them on what's kind of going on with supply chain. Is that kind of a reflection of what you've been doing or is it how, how, have you, how has your role changed over 10 years or 12 years? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I started with, you know, my primary focus was was high tech, but, okay. uh, you know, being, being a, you know, you can take the guy out of finance, but you can't take the finance out of the guy. So I covered other topics like cost right. to serve okay. is very popular, you know, in, in especially nowadays with yeah. the inflation that's going on. Uh, so I covered that as a topic, for instance. But there was this other thing called the supply chain top 25, which ah. you know uh, many are familiar with. That's our leadership research to say who's really pushing the envelope okay. as far as you know being advanced at running supply chain, you know, a broader value chain, you know, really advanced digital capabilities. Mm -hmm. And I was always fascinated with that. Going back to my Intel days, you know, I, I was actually one of the ones who was, you know, kind of beating a drum within the company to say, we need to pay attention to this. We want to actually get on the less prominent, the, the very top of it, because this will attract and retain talent. Yep. And that's actually, you know, the way a lot of companies look at it. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've actually been involved with that program since those days. So it's almost, oh, wow. you know, most of the program. And that actually is a great program to get you visibility into what's going on at all these larger Fortune 500 companies who are totally. more advanced. Totally, totally. Has there been has there been a so let me let me kind of again double click on that with that perspective 
and certainly with that tie mark, I mean, and I'm going to test your memory again here, like going back 10 years, what were people talking about with respect to supply chain then versus what they're talking about now? I mean, it's sort of the high level, right? Because it's, it's, yes. it has evolved a lot, right? And you've yes. got such an interesting perspective on that evolution. So what, yeah. I would say, geez, uh, so much to say here. So yeah. the reason why the top 25 was originally created, and we still talk about this, we, we wanted to elevate the, the role of the profession. You know, it used to be, it's like, oh, you're, you're just about like kicking boxes and licking labels and slapping them on the boxes, you know, right. so, somewhere in the bowels of, of, you know, in operations. And no, you know, just do your job. No one knows who you are, right, right. Right, just do it, just <laughs> yeah. do your job over there. Right. Like right. now, you know, we actually, we've seen it come to fruition. Like we were seeing even before the pandemic, supply chain, uh, head of supply chain was reporting to the CEO at many of these companies, was becoming a partner for growth at these companies. Now it's like the pandemic happened. And of course, like for good and bad reasons, everyone knows what supply chain is. It's on everyone's lips. And so, you know, it's pretty much, you know, it's part of the zeitgeist of yeah. the, our community, you know, yeah. on what it is. But it, we, we basically have sort of achieved what we originally set out to do if you go back to those early days. But if you were to look at the vast majority of companies, you know, uh, Gartner likes maturity models. Yep. And, you know, if you talk about the five-stage maturity model for just the overall, you know, kind of um, what's the objective of the supply chain? How does it operate? Mm -hmm. You go through this uh, evolution where it starts off really siloed. And then it becomes more integrated and end, and then eventually integrated out with a value chain and a broader ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And you know, for these larger companies, they orchestrate what happens in those ecosystems as far as the products, as far as now you know, pushing uh, for greater sustainability and you know, ethical sourcing and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so that really was a big part of what we were trying to accomplish. And, and actually, the top twenty-five was a big vehicle. So I stayed attached to that program and ended up running it for five years and mm -hmm. I'm still uh, involved with it, you know, as part of the advisory board, you know, oh. that, that runs the program. Oh, right on. So, so, and, 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 and let me kind of triple click in this for a sec. Now, well, one question I guess I have is a very obvious one is the top 25 changed or is it very similar cohort as it was 10 years ago, or have you seen a lot of people move in and out of it? So the, the, the way you get in it, as far as qualifying it, it's, it's yeah. always been larger companies, you know? Yeah, right, right. But is it but, the same 25 companies that have sort of led that charge? But I, what I would say is there's there's a fair amount of stability, you know, in, in some cases, you know, like if okay. you look at like a Johnson & Johnson, a P&G, like these are companies yep. that sort of consistently, and, and Intel's been in that, like, you know, yep. the top 10 for the last decade. Yep. Um, the way we evaluate leadership has changed. And it's interesting, oh, it's sort of, you know, it's a chicken and egg, what's evolved. So one of the right. things that I did back in like 2015 timeframe is I said, we need to add, at the time we were calling it corporate social responsibility. Now it's referred to as environmental, social and governance, CSG. Uh -huh. We need a way to, in a quanti quantitative way, show what these different companies are doing. How good are they at this? Gotcha. This is becoming more and more important for supply chain. We were sure. previously just looking at financial performance. Sure. And so that's actually driven the conversation. You know, if you talk oh. about what's hot in supply chain now, you know, ESG is right up front. Um, yeah. You know, that, you know, digital transformation obviously continues yep. to be uh, yep. as well. 
And so within that too, and I'm going to go back to the concept you talked about very early on, which is system level thinking, right? So, so yes. what I don't want to gloss over is somewhere along this, this journey, both your time at Gartner, probably within these top 25 you know, uh, supply chain companies, um, and just industry-wide, is the move from the disaggregate, disaggregate pieces of supply chain, procurement, asset management, disposition, mm-hmm finance, maybe planning, whatever else you want to kind of throw into the hopper. Um, but they all were kind of different groups, but somewhere it became the supply chain organization. But that's, a, I mean, oddly to say this, that's a, that's a new-ish system level view of supply chain. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to that? Because somewhere in the last few years that changed, right? I mean, you must have seen it again from your perspective. When did yes. that happen? Um, I would say... You know, I started as an analyst in 2010, and you know, it was it's it's still a mix, but it was definitely a mix that was more skewed toward um, a, a lower level of reporting for that head of supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also, if you looked at the scope of what was under the role of supply chain, some companies, if you say, "Well, hey, who's your head of supply chain and what do they own?" They'd say it's so and so, and they own plant, planning and logistics. Right. You know, right. And it's like. They're using the same term, but it's 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 still fairly narrow. Right. Um, you know, into the 20 teens, mm-hmm. I would say that's where we started really seeing companies say, you know what, we need to optimize overall end to end for our supply mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. We're going to put everything under one leader, mm-hmm. and because of the scope and the importance of that role, it was elevated up in some cases to the C-suite. You know, okay. the executive type of role. What I would say just as a general trend that we're seeing, you know, now now I'm sort of getting into the position I'm in right now where uh-huh. I support the community of CEOs and global chief supply chain officers is I, I call it the expansionist, uh, you know, CSCO. Okay. It's not that you only own just the plans, you know, all the score functions, right? You know, plan, source, make, deliver, right. return, and all that and service. It's that you also likely own sustainability. Mm-hmm. Or you have a really strong influence on what happens there, uh, including broader ESG, which mm-hmm. you know, would include things like diversity, equity, inclusion, because supply mm-hmm. chain often employs most of the people you know, in, in these, these companies. Right. Um, and then we're also seeing things come in around them owning the digitization aspect of it. Some are joint CIOs or at a minimum own the supply chain IT function, and that's under their purview. Yep. Or, or something around products. Some of our... Yep. Members are actually in charge of product design or oh. you know, component of product launch. So you're, you know, what I would say is in the old days, if you were to say, you know, getting into supply chain, is this a potential path to the corner office? Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer that would come back, mm, maybe, but, you know, not that often. You know, you right. look at, like, you know, Tim Cook, for instance, came through, you know, in operations type of background. Totally. And, you know, he ended up in the role he's in now at, at Apple, but it was more the exception versus the rule. I think we're going to see more and more C- CEOs right. with supply chain backgrounds moving forward. So at a, at, a, at a high level, knowing what you know today, now let's kind of start to maybe look maybe forward or someone who's outside of the, you know, the top 25, maybe they're the top 50 or 100 or something like that. How do you describe the elements of what goes into a supply chain organization, right? At a very simplistic level, right? Because I think that's also kind of a, you know, there's a, there's, well, I'll let you answer it, but I mean, there's, there's pieces and you refer to them, right? Mm-hmm. In that whole continuum. And it ends up being the business within the business because it's 
you know, it starts at sort of the buying procurement, but then there's a bunch of stuff in the middle as the assets kind of moving through. And then, then you also, which a lot of people forget about, is you have to get rid of this stuff. And this gets back to circularity, ah, yeah, environmentalism, yes, disposition. Yes, I'm going to yes. come back to that one because that's a topic. Yes. For, <laughs> jump that's in a rich, for a second. Yeah, yes. that's a rich one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, so how do you like someone comes to you and says, okay, I'm in the Fortune 2000, but what what elements should I have in the supply chain? And and kind of my leading question here is because I'm also seeing the way y'all are looking at supply chain as a category is no longer these element these piece parts, but one global category with a bunch of you know with with pieces, but they're all supply chain pieces now, right? Yeah, I it, it you know. There are, like I said, there's varying definitions that we see across different companies. There okay. tends to be a correlation where more mature companies tend to have broader purviews. So you would right. you might have a group that's more facing uh, demand creation, even or you know the demand planning function. Sure. Uh, we're, we're we are seeing some supply chains play a larger role in customer experience. You know because. Right. It's interesting, you know, you do see a lot of engineering types of uh, people go into supply chain. So yeah. the data scientists, you know, that's a great type of skill set to have if you wanted to even analyze what's going on with um, unstructured data tied to your customer. What sure. they want in terms of your products, you know, what the demand profile, you know, looks like currently and what it, you know, it might be projected to look like. And yep. so if you ask the question, who's better to actually do your forecasting? Is it your commercial team? or your supply chain team? Well, your commercial team, of course, is a huge player and has a lot of say in it, but a supply yeah. chain might actually have the core underlying skills. So I would even start with that. Like on the demand side, there's a role that supply chain plays there. You know, yeah. so traditionally supply has been, you know, the, the big part of the role is supply chain, uh, but mm-hmm. I think it's actually extended beyond that. I think to your point, it also extends into the product as well, uh, there's lots of discussions we're having now about design for supply chain. You know, totally. Design for many outcomes. Right now, it's how do we actually design uh, you know, products so that we can get you know, the most out of uh, the, the capacity that we have because we're really, really constrained, whether it's our own facilities or you know, what we're getting in as supply. But then there's also the piece that you mentioned, which I think we'll probably hit separately around the whole circular model. Right. How do you design this thing so that it's not cradle to grave, but cradle to cradle? Right. Uh, and you can actually bring some of the resources back in, uh, and that's going to be more sustainable for how we run our businesses moving forward, not just a thing that's good for the planet. Well, I think you you open the door, so I will walk through sure. the question. <laughs> it's a collaborative. So this is one, and it's certainly one I learned early on, where Everyone focuses on the buying stuff. So you got huge procurement teams and these elaborate RFP, RFQs, and all my demand planning goes into it. And then even in my asset management, it's kind of like, eh, all right, you know, I mean, it's still a big team, relatively speaking, and they keep track of it because it's a bunch of stuff, you got a bunch of depreciation you got to worry about, yada, yada, yada. But then we get to the disposition. And for me, that's where things fall off the cliff to this day, where I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, you buy $250 billion worth of stuff, right? If you're Chevron per year. Right. And this Fortune 2000 buys $12 trillion worth of stuff per year, by the way. Right. So it's a pretty massive number of acquisition. Right. But there's no emphasis on the disposition side. That's a new, interestingly kind of topic. And, 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 you know, for me, it's a lot of free cash for companies and CFOs. Forget that. Forget the sustainability recycling aspect of it. That's free money. 
right? That's sitting there. It, it is. Yeah. Some, some requires some effort to unlock it. So like if you're talking Correct. about something that really needs to be designed to yep. unlock components yep. or even like minerals, you know, you look at sure. the, you know, one of the stories, we have, we have an awards program, Power of the Profession, a couple of years ago, uh, Dell won, and Dell's taking gold out of motherboards. It's There's actually oh more, you know, gold by weight in a motherboard than there is in like gold ore that you would see in rocks wow. out in nature. Wow. So that's, you know, that's a little brute force, right? In yeah. some cases, take, taking it out. If you were to yeah. design something where you were like, well, 60% of this thing, I hate to use the word commodity, but it's, you know, it's it's not like the latest IP, the latest technology. It, it right. could be the same. Why don't we figure out how to cycle the those components from our old product back into that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll just, you know, create the new stuff. But you have mm-hmm. to start at the very beginning of the line to say, let's do it that way. Let's actually right. make it so that we have you know, a system, including the reverse logistics and the quality management inbound to be able to bring, you know, bring that back in. And, and I think that's, so, so again, let me, let me double click on that. Um, ironically, the disposition side seems to be like a new opportunity for supply chains to optimize. So from your perspective, what are people talking about when they think about this process, this disposition? Of course, designing so that circular is one thing, and that's kind of that's actually forward thinking. I'd give a lot of credit to an organization that's thinking along those terms. Yeah. Is it you know from your end, what do you see the companies starting to wake up to? Because they have a lot of stuff. I mean, there's that same two thousand companies is sitting on, based on book value, one hundred eighty seven trillion dollars worth of assets. I mean, it's uh-huh. a ridiculous amount of stuff. Yeah, and I think you know the motivations come from different places. You know, in right. some cases. It's um, you know this this might actually this asset that is you know gathering dust might actually have some some residual value to it and to right. your point it's just sitting there waiting right. to be monetized and so let's figure out a way to do that oh by the way when we do that that's good for the environment you know totally. at, at the same time so you know we we can you know raise the flag on yeah. that as well. You know, there's others where I think it's there are pure environmental concerns. So if you look at the community that uh, you know I currently support, there's a lot lot of uh, consumer packaged good companies in there. So you think about plastic. You know, no, all right. those statistics that get thrown out. You know, there's more plastic in the ocean now that by weight than fish, which right. is you know if you really think about that, it's uh, incredible and, and gross at the same time. Totally. And so there's pressure on how do we you know, not use plastic in the first place for our packaging, but mm-hmm. where it really makes sense because it's a great solution. It's almost yep. like Freon for cool on, cooling. Yeah. It's like, right. How do we actually try to recreate this thing that was really good, but you know, pst, yeah, doesn't the environment. Right. Um, and so the discussions are starting to go toward how do we uh, reach as a community common standards? Sure. So, and that's actually, it sounds boring when you start talking about standards, but what, where this is critical is once you have a standard, everyone can use it and yep. you can actually get economies of scale. Because right. if you look at the economics today of plastic, for instance, that would go into a, a package for mm-hmm. a, a good company, it actually is less expensive. I don't know mm-hmm. what the current price of oil, but you know, generally speaking, it's less expensive to create virgin plastic than to right. have it go through the whole recycling process. Right. So going back to the concept of a system or an ecosystem, you need everyone involved. You need all the consumers of that to agree and say, you know, if it's this type of packaging, we're all going to use the same thing. 
mm-hmm. uh, or the same platform mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. ingredients. You know, by the mm-hmm. way, we need to pull in the chemical companies and we need to pull in the recycling companies. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to create these markets jointly together so that we flip the economics of this to make it work. Right. And that's that's what I'm seeing right now are the, some of the discussions that we're having in the community. And it's uh, it's encouraging. It's also it's hard to do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Reasons. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Not. I mean, and this is one of these where I think there one can attribute a little bit of out of sight, out of mind, because something's been bought, used and kind of like it's over here, but it's actually yeah. coming back through because they've bought so much of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but then secondly, again, we kind of go back to systems level view, right? Where we're starting to connect the dots between stuff we're pulling out of the ground, right? Like the, the system level view I keep referring to, and like you and I talked about this, is that Robert Kunzing uh, infographic from that National Geographic article where he shows the world supply chain and 106 gigatons of stuff. Uh, you probably know Robert because he's, yeah, he's a pretty famous you know, area in the circular economy kind of thing. Um, but my point here is that you know, what we take out of the ground Again, it's actually a list that's not that long. You know, I mean, I could probably fire off 80 to 90% of the stuff that we use today comes from about a dozen or two dozen materials at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we start connecting the dots with how those materials go through and are manufactured and then recycled again, we can begin to avoid pulling stuff out of the ground if we look at that full system view. But that takes, you know, again, you've got to think system-wide, not just this little piece here. I'm just disposing of something, yeah. You do. And the other thing I would say that uh, sometimes can be a barrier is actually uh, geopolitics. And so that's another wrinkle. You know, it's right. actually another reason why I think heads of supply chain are well suited to you know, move into uh, CEO types of roles because you're, you're dealing with influence of government, governmental policy. Um, you know, you look at what's going on in high tech and in pharma right now. Yeah. Lots of discussions around building national specific supply chains where there's traceability for the right. products and so on and right. so forth. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought of it, I branched off into this one, just thinking about like rare earths, yeah. uh, you know, and, you know, majority are, you know, refined in, in China right now. And, right. you know, lots of talk about decoupling in, in our economies, uh, you know, between the, the West and, and China. Not that it's, happening or that it's fully happening yep. by any stretch. Yep. But that's on a lot of people's mind right now is what, you know, where do we go from here? But that's a fascinating point though, right? That's mm-hmm. a fascinating point is, is inherently again, supply chain practitioners, especially at the global multinational level, also are diplomats. They have to be yes. because they're going and negotiating and, and actually changing policies within yes. countries. So, I mean, their knowledge base isn't just optimization or constraints theory. It's, What's the current geopolitical landscape that I'm walking into and how do I negotiate something that's yes. compatible to not only our corporate goals, but now our sustainability goals and be congruent with this country's geopolitical stuff going on? Yes, there's just so much. It's like 3D or 4D chess or whatever right. you would want to call it. But yeah, like a lot of our members, they're, they, they've said, hey, I, I, I'm not available in early, you know, in the early November timeframe because I'm getting ready or I'm going to be at the COP26 talks going on in Scotland. Uh, And so they're right in the thick of it. And it's actually important that they shape the language that gets written because they don't want it to happen to them uh, and have bureaucrats create some language that's actually not executable, you know, on their part. So Uh, that's that's another big part of the leader's role is to, you know. That's a fascinating point. Very fascinating. Okay. I'm going to switch gears slightly. 
Um, sure. Let's just talk tech for a sec because this, we have to talk about technology. But this is another one where you've also had an interesting purview from your perspective on how technologies have begun to evolve, to adapt to now a supply chain in a holistic view, right? 10 or 15 years ago, I'm not even sure there really was supply chain technology as much as technologies for the pieces of the supply chain yes. or people jerry-rigged certain solutions, you yes. know, that they pre that were pre-existing that maybe a, you know, there's a big financial system that we all know that every company has, and that became the supply chain platform, even though it was never really a supply chain platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or or but but now that's different. I mean, now in the last few years, you've seen an onslaught of new technologies that are actually, I would call them now supply chain technologies. Maybe just a perspective on that kind of evolution that you've seen. Oh, geez. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's huge over the last you know decade, let's say. Um, yep. you know, what, what, if I go back to like the early 2010s, uh, it's exactly as you said. And this this actually has direct parallels to the, the maturity model that I was talking about before, where you, know, you start off in a really siloed way. Yep. You're, you're siloed off from your um, you know, product organization and from your commercial organization, but even within yourself, if yourself is what we would define now as supply chain, it's like everyone's in their slice trying to optimize what they do. And so, of right. course, they would each go off and say, well, if I need to optimize procurement sourcing, I need to optimize manufacturing, I need to optimize logistics, I need my own tool, and it yep. lives within its own ecosystem. Yep. Um, you know, right around that time, you know, we started seeing an opening up around data analytics and just sure. the, because of hyperscale, you know, type of uh, computing capabilities, that actually became possible to solve and optimize across end to end, for instance, yep. um, technologies uh, that allowed you to get visibility to assets in the field, mm-hmm. whether that's a shipment or a piece of equipment or whatever, that type of telemetry started becoming um, possible, affordable, mm-hmm. technologically feasible at that time. And so the pieces, the foundational pieces started coming together to manage. I, I still believe, you know, you have to have the um, functional, the process maturity to be able to pull that off. Because if sure. you're still kind of right. acting this way in silos, right. Right. it doesn't matter. If you can, totally. someone could give you the most advanced tool, you, you bastardize it. Uh, totally. Totally. For the, the more advanced companies that have gotten there and sort of you know across the chasm, absolutely. And you know, if you look at what happened when the pandemic hit in 2020, right. those right. were the companies that were able to actually really be uh, surgical uh, in their responses and be successful. And you know, no one could have predicted all the stuff that happened. Right. So it was really about how do we have really, you know, really good visibility. Uh, you know, I remember a story from one of our members that's in the auto, uh, you know, industry, and you know, he was talking about having visibility to key components at a tier two supplier just as the border was closing on on one of these countries. You wow! Know, as, as we saw the movement of the you know the virus from place to place, and they got in, they got a special dispensation to go grab a bunch of components, which really helped them. Oh my There's God. no way they would have had. No, that's that's a really tactical example, but there's no way they would have had the ability to be that precise in what they did if they didn't yep. have a record that gave them that level of visibility. And that's not just four walls. That's now going out, uh, you know, two tiers right. in the supply chain. So I think that's the big thing. Um, I also see digital as being an enabler for a bunch of things. You know, sure. when we talk about all the sustainability, circular economy, I think you need uh, digital to enable that. 
Yep. You would need to have a system that says, not only do I have so much of the new component that I'm making, I, I also have half of what I'm going to put into your production that's being recycled in coming from a bunch of disparate sources from existing customers. Totally. So yeah, yeah. I, well, let me, let me, let me. So, so on that though, and this is where we kind of get into the tech and, you know, I'm curious because there is a symbiotic, well, there's a symbiotic relationship to some extent between the innovators, the startups, whatever you want to call that community. And then these big behemoths of industry, these top 50, top 100, right. And what they're looking for. So yeah. in that conversation, right. And this is how this would be more instructive to the people building the stuff of the future. What's kind of top of mind there? Like, I mean, this is this seems like ironically kind of a new space, right? Like I get asked a lot of times, like, what is a supply chain solution? Like, what does that look like? I don't even know how to define that because I've never actually seen it before. I know what it does. And you know, oftentimes I resort or revert to, well, it's the digital twinning of your entire supply chain, right? Now, to the extent that you wanna see it, to to the example you just gave, I mean. It could all the way go all the way to where the materials are actually pulled out of the earth and then refined and manufactured and brought to you and then acquired and then recycled or you want it. I mean, that's kind of the end game. But let me ask you, like, how are you framing? How are these discussions happening at these you know, giants of industry and how they're viewing what their their requirements for supply chain solutions or are they designing their own? Are they looking outside? Are they opening up to the world of startup and innovation? Because it seems like they are. I would say uh, I actually see more openness to working with startups and innovators that are more bleeding edge in, awesome. in more advanced, larger players than I would see in the general community. Interesting. And, and, that, and that speaks to like the, the risk profile of the companies. They're, they're right. leaning forward and saying, you know, and I, I would actually tie that to just a broader, like agile, a, a, a adaptive type of yeah. culture, which yeah. you don't have that today. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you, better, you better get it soon because, right. you know. I don't think it's going to get any less disruptive, you know, totally. for instance. So those companies are willing to place bets. Some of them actually have a, a side budget that you could put under the banner of general R&D. Sure. Where, you know, they're out talking to, you know, the university affiliated uh, organizations and, and other just startups that are in these, you know, hubs, yep. innovation hubs to yep. say, well, what's, what's new? What's the next thing that we should be focused on? Uh, and then they, you know, they use um, almost like a venture capital type of approach to say, let's figure out, you know, in, in a controlled way, what, what are the winners and what are the losers? And it's only when you get to that final stage that you say, is this something we would want to scale across our entire enterprise versus mm -hmm. just being, you know, a pilot that we're mm -hmm. you know, doing small scale? And that's where the big money would come in mm -hmm. uh, as part of their planning process. But those, mm -hmm. those planning processes are be becoming much more adaptive right. nowadays. Because you think about it, like we just ran an event with a really large home improvement store that went through a dramatic uh, transformation. They needed to execute a roadmap that they had planned for three years in one. Yep. yep. There's, you know, there's no way you can short circuit that unless, you know, you, you can turn the crank faster. Is, right. Is how you fund these things. Totally, totally. And that sort of, that sort of that leads into then, so of these technologies or things that they're kind of focusing on is there some kind of well let me let me ask a question there's another issue issue another transformation that's happening which is the movement from and this is more techie now for a second but the movement from enterprises historically have been uh, I'll say notorious for buying their own software mm -hmm. and then turning it into something that 
does not resemble what they originally purchased. Uh, that's that's an age-old enterprise practice. And they've done that. Yeah, right. We've all we've all seen it. It is it is. I mean, it's a Frankenstein that emerges, and you can't kill it, and it ends up being the backbone. And yeah, we've all we all yeah. have our war stories in that one. But the the point or the question I'm getting to is now though it's kind of moving into this whole platform world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had Jeff Parker on the show, and we talked about platform revolution. But it's almost like the whole IT world of enterprises concurrently shifting their IT strategy from retained to own software to platforms of platforms. Like I'm going to run all my, you know, where Salesforce is a platform that runs the sales and marketing team within an organization or Workday runs HR within an organization. But it's, it's, it's really attacking one of the big, I'll call them, kind of fears of enterprises is somehow in a shared system, their data is going to get lost and corrupted and yes. security and yada, yada. Yes. But that's going away. So my question is inherently there, like how does that affect now the supply chain in particular as they're looking at solutions and really platforms are the way to go versus owning software? Is that even, how does that come up with you or group or your thoughts? You know, I, I think we're in the middle of the journey right now. There's still yeah. some that I hear from that, you know, they have the concerns about, you know, the security, the reliability and, and all that of moving, to, you know, most of their, you know, critical, you know, um, capabilities uh, sure. to that type of platform. I think ultimately, though, you know, we we will get there. And what yep. that enables, you know, ultimately, if you look at, you know, this is this is kind of drawing on a concept that other people have talked about. But, right. uh, you know, it's not going to be companies competing against one another. It's going to be ecosystems competing against one another. Totally. Um, you know, I'll pull my hippie card out for a minute. I, I hope, you know, someday that it's less competitive and more cooperative yep, uh, yep. than we are right now. I think, you know, that's going to be part of our next evolution, you know, yep. more broadly. Yep. But we are expanding out. And if, if you were to compete as an ecosystem, uh, you need the ability to connect through platforms and platforms of platforms. Yep. You know, otherwise, it's too point to point. Right. And you need to do it quickly. You right. Know, that's, that's the thing. So, you know, that's the capability that we're seeing now in companies is the ability to, you know, get the information, to be able to sense what's going on at a more granular level, and then to do, you know, some quick calculations on it, run the algorithms to say, is there anything different that we need to do as a result of that, whether that's on the sure. demand side or the supply side? Sure. And that's sort of, you know, a stair step on the way to having an autonomous type of supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't even talked about talent. You right. Know, that's just a huge, you know, it's a, it's a huge area of discussion today around automation, augmentation, what types of skills are required? You know, are we replacing people? What's, what, you know, what's our end game there? Right. Um, right now, well, let, frankly, well, let me, well, let me double, let me double yeah. click on that though. Cause you, cause yeah. you opened that door real quick. Uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that, because this is, we've talked about the breadth of supply chain, right? So not only, you know, do you have to have sort of a full scope? We've talked about diplomatic roles, but now you got data, data scientists, data lakes, data planning, you know, IT planning, you know, if you're going to get into robotics and IoT. And I mean, you, you it's no longer just like, again, constraints theory. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, you're, you're really like running a full global business, including the technological aspects and innovation, because there's no, you know, there's no handbook for this. Right, a lot of it's being innovated sort of on the fly, which is the whole point of innovation. So you've mm-hmm. got to have an you've got to have a particular mindset to be able to sort of live in that gray world that oftentimes historic supply chain practitioners, with all due respect, didn't have. They weren't conditioned 
to uh, take on that risk, but that's changing too. So let's talk about talent. Like, what do you, I mean, it's a, it's a whole different person. I mean, a supply chain person is, a, is an entirely different person today. What, what, what do you see? It, it is. Um, I mean, you think about what we were talking about uh, just er- earlier. You, yeah. you, need, you need to be a systems thinker. Um, yeah. You need to have uh, adaptability because things are changing more quickly now in the general environment. Yep. I think just an understanding of data and analytics and yep. how to contextualize what's going on in business yep. with those with those skills is really important. Um, you know, those those are some of the the critical ones I would point to as far as talent. Um, I think the companies that do this well, um, they they couch or they um, frame their digital transformation in the context of. This is something that we're doing because our customers' requirements continue to escalate yep. and we continue to run into these constraints from a supply perspective. So it's just becoming more complex. Right. And, and so we can't get there from where we're at today. We need right. more. We need to make you into bionic supply chain people. And we totally. need you to use your time and your intelligence in ways that are uniquely human. So if you're a customer service rep, all that you know, um, drudgery that you would do, you know, going and mining, you know, data and moving it from system to system and all that. Well, we'll do that with RPA, and you know, we'll we'll do a lot of the uh, stuff that you typically would do in a more automated way, and then you yep. can actually work on that relationship with the customer, right? Uh, and add value that way. So I think, yeah, that's that's where we're headed more and more. Well, one I was going to also poke on too a little bit is the mental shift from privacy, secrecy to more openness, transparency, and collaboration, right? Even in the role of running a supply chain organization, and I'm sure you see this even in your groups, yeah. where you can share best practices across your counterparts, across what are historically called competitors, mm-hmm. but all of you achieve a lot of advantage that benefits everybody in an equal fashion. And the example I'd give kind of draws on both of our high-tech backgrounds where yeah. you saw that in the infrastructure space, right? The Googles and the Microsofts, you know, unbeknownst to most people, are highly collaborative in the background, right? I mean, I, I happen to come from that world, so I know all those folks. And I, I mean, we still talk every, you know, at least two, three times a year. And you'd think Google, you know, Joe Cava over there or Christian Bellotti over at Microsoft, they're best buds. I mean, but they're competitive at a corporate level, but they do talk about what they do at their infrastructure data center side. And I right. think it's I think it's benefited the whole industry. So the reason I draw on that example is I think supply chain practitioners can learn from that. Right. Yeah. You don't need to do it on your own. You can actually still retain your competitive nature, but share what you're doing at a supply chain best practice level. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's always going to probably be some line where people are like, well, I, you know, this is something I consider to be a competitive advantage. Yep. But I think that line is being pushed further and further along just because yep. the problems that we're needing to solve as individual companies, especially yep. some of these larger, you know, sustainability issues. Yep. It's like we're not we're we will not get there unless we all collaborate. You know, like the example I was giving before on standards, yep. it's a direct parallel to what you described uh, in the high tech design of you know of data centers. So right. that's that's part of that's a big part of the conversations that I'm in with the community today. Oh, cool. To that. Well, let's let's we've got a few minutes left, so I definitely want to be mindful of time. And and you know, as always, I look at the clock and I'm like, Jesus, an hour just flew by. Like, what the hell just happened? So uh, uh, we could go on for a long time, but let me let me just you know again kind of take a look forward. 
What are you seeing happening over these next few years? I mean, not only for you or just for supply chain in general. I mean, we've touched on a bunch of topics. Obviously, sustainability is big. You know, carbon accounting is out, you know, carbon accounting for whatever that means is going to come into play as an ingredients list or something. Digital twin seems to be a big deal. What are, I mean, what are you seeing kind of as the big themes over the next few years within supply chain? Yeah, I, I think you know the major underlying drivers will continue. So there's the you know the customer requirements. Uh, you know, I, I at least in the short run, you know, on the B two C, it's I want it sooner. I want it reliably sooner. Right. Uh, if you're looking on the B two B side, it's I want things tailored. You know, uh, just the way I want it. You mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, some of the high tech examples around that as far as the products. Yeah. I yeah. may even want to buy what you sell as a subscription and not even buy you know, actual physical products totally. from you anymore. Right. That will drive a tremendous amount of change because yep. that you have to run your supply chain in a much different way to do that. Sustainability, you know, that just keeps, you know, it, it's it's on a path, you know, like, like yep. this. I would say yep. that in digital, uh, you know, in, in the digital space, you know, the most common applications that we hear from people are around uh, AI and machine learning. Right. Uh, and so it's like, well, where is that going to embed itself yet further into what we do, whether that's our planning or our sourcing? You know, there's just interesting applications. And yep. I think, you know, the the other thing that still is, you know, the final chapters or the next chapters have not been written on is what's the future of work look like? Yeah, right. How are we going to, you know, how are we going to run the, our supply chains in this hybrid type right. of world? Right. Um, that's a whole other thing that needs to be worked through by our organizations. Totally. Well, let me ask. Okay, and I'm going to ask you a, a one that's also out there a little bit too, but uh, it's one that I'm sort of keenly, keen, keenly watching uh, because it's an extension of supply chain. But is the where are you thinking about the space-based supply chain? Right. So I'm looking at SpaceX. I'm looking at Astro Rockets, and even mm-hmm. the, the CEO from Astro, a guy named Chris Kemp, who is an open-source software guy now, rocket dude. Um, mm-hmm. He says, quite frankly, he's building a supply chain company, and I don't think we talk about that a lot because it's still a bit early, mm-hmm. but honestly, that is exactly what it is. It is an extension of the human species supply chain to enable us to, you know, go to the stars, right? Whether it's to a mm-hmm. space station, to the moon, or eventually to Mars and beyond. Yeah. But at the moment, we don't know how to, I mean, we have to kind of bring our supply chain with it. It's like, it's like moving the military or something like that. Like you have to figure out exactly. supply chain lines. Has that even come up yet? Because that's a whole new realm of supply chain thinking that we're just beginning to develop. What I would tell you is I don't hear that as much in, you know, kind of your, your standard fortune 500 companies right now talk, talking about that. Sure. But I think more broadly, just, you know, the advancement of humankind. Yeah. That's, that's the, the, the next thing that we need to do. And I think our technology will take us there. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, no, no, absolutely. And again, just want to be mindful of time. So this has been just an incredible conversation. Um, could go on for hours in this thing. Your insights are, again, just so uniquely positioned, you know, both in what you've done in a career, but then also what you've been exposed to and to be able to see this. And so I think that's that's just an awesome, awesome, awesome interpretation of what's going on. Great pleasure to speak with you. You know, it's just a lot of fun. You know, hopefully we could do it again. I know we'll run across each other again, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. I'd, I'd say, you know, for the for the audience, if you don't work in supply chain and you're just watching this because you're curious, you know, come join us wherever we're here running the world and right. saving it, <laughs> trying to save it at the same time. And if you do, I guess just a big thank you because, uh, yep. you know, it's been a, a pretty tough slog uh, over the last several years. Um, and I'm, I'm, but, you know, it's great work and I'm honored to be part of this community. So, 
appreciate awesome. your having me on to share some of that with, with you and, and your listeners. Awesome, Stan. Well, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. This is Richard Donaldson. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about the episode or topics in supply chain you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, why not check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud, collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at www.requis.com.